This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, perfect. Thank you for the introduction, and uh, I'll go ahead and get started. So yeah, so I'm talking about um, soft robotics. That's what I generally work in, and uh, to start this, I'm going to kind of frame it. Well, what is soft robotics? That will be how we start. Um, before I introduce a couple of projects that I work on in my lab. So the first one is the gecko-inspired adhesives. And uh, up there is uh, an image of a real gecko. Um, that's the toe of a gecko, and we'll see more of that later. And then the second project is the uh, vine-inspired robots. So this is a, uh, a robot we've got here that kind of can grow like a vine. And we'll, we'll look more of that later. But starting with, well, what is soft robotics? So the best way to frame this question is to say, well, what is not soft robotics? What is traditional robotics? And so these are uh, what most robots in the world look like. They're these rigid robots. They put your cars together, things like that. And they're very, um, uh, very repeatable, reliable, have tight, controlled movements, which is great for the factory. And this is some robots doing something. Who knows quite what it is? But they do it all day, and they do it quite well, and they don't make mistakes. Right, and so that's been kind of the goal of most robots uh, until now. Now, if you take these robots and put them outside, sometimes they have some issues, and some people might have seen this video. So this robot's uh, thinking about going up the stairs. You can see its brain spinning around. I sped it up 8x, so we're not here all day. And all right, here he goes. He's going to step up this stair. And so he's still thinking about it. Yeah, he does a little. And then he's going to take a step. Oh... And he doesn't make it. So, so what was the issue here? Well, he, it, unlike the factory where he knew exactly, those robots know exactly the shape of everything and where everything is, here he didn't know how high the step was, and he miscalculated it, and it made him fall over backwards, right? So, uh, the, whoops, so the, the environment is unknown. Look at that. The environment is unknown. And the other thing is this, you know, there's a lack of safety around, for instance, humans. If there had been a human walking behind him, this thing weighs, I don't know, like 100 kilograms. It would have been bad. Um, okay, so then, whoops, so what if we do want to have robots doing something like this, you know, tucking in your grandparent or something like that? Um, there's some, some new challenges if we're going to bring them out into the real world, okay? And, you know, like we said, there's unknown environments, human safety, and functionality. So robots, for instance, can't really tuck people in right now. Um, so the question we're going to try to answer today, and what I do answer with a lot of my research is... Uh, how do we design robots to meet these new challenges? Okay. And one of, those, one of the ways that we use is bioinspiration, which is used in a bunch, bunch of different fields. Um, it's not the only thing we do, but it's, it's one source of uh, solutions to these challenging problems. Nature has solved a lot of them. And this is a good quote from uh, a long time ago, uh, predicting the rise of soft robots. Soft will overcome. But, but it's actually an interesting quote, right? So it's basically saying just being rigid and stiff sometimes isn't the best way, the strongest way to be. So you can actually be uh, stronger or, or more resilient by adding some compliance. So that's kind of the main idea behind soft robotics is that you, know, you can add some compliance and potentially um, improve your design. So is this soft robots? Well, this guy's definitely a soft robot, but I'm going to argue that you don't have to be all marshmallowy to be uh, a soft robot. Um, 
And so this is the definition we use in, in our lab, is that you've added some compliance to your robot. It doesn't necessarily need to be all, or all soft. So I think a human's a good example. You know, we have some nice soft, like your fingers grip things well because they have a nice soft finger pads, but they're able to apply large forces because they have a nice rigid uh, skeleton inside. So uh, in my mind, soft robotics doesn't have to be all soft, but you're using some, some compliance, some softness to your advantage um, to make your system better. So uh, we'll talk about how that applies in these two cases, and the argument will be that to meet these new challenges, um, we can use this design principle from nature, add some compliance, and hopefully we can show today that you can improve your performance. Okay, so let's get started with the Gecko-inspired adhesives. So the, the goal here is to make a device, a, a, a robot, to climb glass. Now, nature obviously has a good solution to this. You know, you've seen lizards, they can climb up things. This is a pretty cool image of a lizard. This is its foot with these little flaps. You zoom in, you see these tiny hairs. This is 75 microns. Zoom in again, this is one of the hairs. It even has even more tinier features down here. So then you can zoom in one more time. So this is 10 microns now. And so these flaps are something around 200 nanometers across. And this is it in action. So we're looking at an image of a gecko with its toe pressed against the glass. You're looking through the glass. And you can kind of see where it lights up is where it is making good contact. It was a fun test to do. Turns out geckos are really mean. And they try to bite you the whole time when you're doing this. So we end up having to tape its mouth closed. But <laughs> it, Otherwise, it, 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 holds its, it actually holds its mouth open waiting to bite you. It's just, it's it'll be quicker to bite you, it feels like, if it has its mouth open already. Um, anyway, toke gecko is not nice. Um, this is what's going on, how it works. So it's got these little hairs, like this, and if you just touch them to the surface, uh, they don't stick. And so it feels like they're not sticky at all. But when you touch them and then pull them sideways, they all kind of unfurl, and you get this really good contact and uh, you get stickiness. So it's this cool adhesive. It's called uh, uh, like a directional adhesive, or you can imagine it's, it feels like tape when you're pulling this way, but when you just touch it, it doesn't feel sticky at all. And that's kind of the magic of it. I do have a piece of it with me late, that we could play with maybe later. This is our um, approximation of it. So this is our material. So what you're seeing here is it's a side view. These are wedges of rubber. So the kind of shiny thing is the rubber you're looking at. And I'm pulling, so here's the wedges, and I'm pulling the glass that way, to your left. And so as I pull the glass to the left, it lays these things over, they make very good contact, and it sticks. Okay, and so here's our little robot that we made with it. Uh, his name's StickyBot. This is a video that a uh, film student made, so it's a little bit artsy, but uh, black and white, no sound. Um, but I'll just let it, let it go. So yeah, so this is StickyBot. And so the, the adhesive is here on his feet, so he's just got these little pads they are about the size of a postage stamp, and he weighs about a little less than a kilogram. And this is him climbing up sheer glass. And what's cool is you can see he can just lift his foot off, so, so when he stops pulling down, it's no longer sticky. There we are watching it. And then here's the real artsy shot at the end, so we fade from me into the gecko. <laughs> yeah, so that one's pretty fun. So then we said, well, can we make it smaller? So this is basically the same idea. It's still got those little pads here, but we stripped away everything else. It's just got one little servo motor and a microcontroller and a battery, two pads. And what's cool is if you back up, 
this is it carrying my computer up the wall. So I did it once, it worked, and I didn't try it again. <laughs> There's no safety line. Uh, there was a, some pillows below it, and my friend promised me that it's a solid-state drive, so it'll be fine if it falls. But uh, anyway, the, the gecko worked, or the robot worked, and uh, it can actually carry way more than this, so it can carry almost 100 times its body weight, which is about what an ant can do. Okay, so then after we went small, we said, well, how about going larger? This is the obvious next question, right? Could we do a Spider-Man? And so it turned out it wasn't quite uh, as easy as just making one, uh, one of the gecko pads, but make, or sorry, the, the sticky butt pads and making it bigger. Because if you zoom into glass, it actually has some curvature to it. And our wedges are only, you know, they're very short. They're only 100 microns long. So we're actually not able to make contact across the whole surface. So you end up with something that looks like this, where as you get bigger here on the x-axis, you, your adhesive stress, so the force per unit area, decreases, right? So that's no good for scaling. So we looked at, well, what, what did nature do? And we saw, well, look, it's got these, these flaps, right? They've cut up the adhesive in these little sections. So we tried a similar thing. You cut up the adhesive, and then you get nice confirmation to the, the curves of the surface. Okay, so now but once you've cut it up into a bunch of little tiles, you need to somehow load each of the tiles um, with your force. So let's say this is your, your body weight pulling down, and you've got a tendon attached to each of these tiles that are stuck to the wall. The, the tendons will have a slight difference in length just due to manufacturing error or whatever. And as you pull down on this, one of them will take most of the load, one of them might not take any load. So this is not ideal for carrying the most weight possible. Ideally, you want all of these to have the same load. So uh, this is a solution that was invented 100 years, a couple hundred years ago. Uh, it's the plows of a horse. It's called a whipple tree design. So basically you've got these branches in the system, and it allows each of the horses to pull with the same force, regardless of if one's a step ahead of the other, which is exactly what we wanted. So you can implement a whipple tree design in our thing, pull on it, and everything will take roughly the same load. Now there's a problem with this design, which is that if one fails, then this one takes twice the load, and then these two take more load, and you basically get a waterfall and cascading effect where they all fall off. So that was not desirable. So then we looked at what does the gecko do to load its tiles? And it turns out it's got a really complex uh, system of tendons back there, which are little springy tendons. This is from someone who cut up a gecko's toe and drew a picture of it. And if we do something similar, basically just add a, a spring to each one, we can load it, and we can get pretty even load sharing across these tendons. And again, what's nice is it's robust. Nature tends to be robust. So if you fail one of these tiles, the other springs just stretch out. And they take a bit more load, but they don't have this cascading effect. So while that uh, is nice and robust, it's, like we said, it's not quite ideal. And the main takeaway of this plot is that as we load it, so this is a force displacement plot on each of the tiles. And as we, as we pull more and more force and the displacement increases, we have a fairly large spread, which is the difference in the forces among the tiles. So in the, in the ideal case, this gets very small, and the average force is very close to the maximum force. So every tile has the same load on it. So what we want to do is basically do that, put these right up close. And how do we do that? We invented, or maybe not invented, but used a new type of spring which is very stiff at first and then is quite soft. So this is a weird material. It feels like you're pulling on it and it feels very, very stiff 
and then it yields, kind of like gum or something like that. Uh, and there's actually a material that does this, has this exact shape, and it's called super elastic nitinol, which is, some people might be familiar with this, it's in like some uh, eyeglasses, the ones that you can bend like crazy and they snap back. So what's going on there, they feel stiff, and then you bend them, and they can yield. So we use this material, and there's a lot going on here, but the main takeaway is with the, the blue, which is a super elastic nitinol, we get a really tight spread. And this is the model, and this is the data. Here's another visualization of it. So with the super elastic down here, the main thing is at high loads, we get a super even load distribution. With regular springs, it fails. Uh, there's one other interesting thing that goes on, which is this is a group of seven tiles, and we made one fail. So we, we made it dirty and made it come off. As it fails, you note the other tiles that increase load aren't the ones that are heavily loaded. So these ones had a lot of force on them. These ones didn't. And so it's really cool. It's the tiles that uh, have very little force on them, who are doing very little work, end up taking up the slack and doing more work. So we call this the communist load sharing. <laughs> OK, so then this is our uh, overall plot. And what's cool here, again, a lot going on, What's cool here is the gecko, as you scale up larger and larger, the force decreases uh, per unit area. But with our system, even though we're not as good as the gecko to start, we scale really well. So as we get bigger and bigger, we're keeping almost the same force per unit area. So what about, can we do Spider-Man? So this is where you need to be for human climbing, and that's where we are. So that seems promising. So we said, all right, let's build a device. So this is our human climbing device. So this little thing here is this tie, uh, array of tiles. So there's 24 tiles. And something is about the size of a ping pong paddle. And then attached to that is a support for my foot. That's me. Um, we did this because at first we tried doing it kind of like um, Tom Cruise did in that Mission Impossible with like that glove he just had. Turns out that's really uncomfortable and like pulls the skin off your hand. Um, if you try to just hang by your, yeah, the skin on your arm. Um, anyway, uh, so that didn't work so well. And the other thing is it's really hard to pull yourself up the wall with just your arms. And like some rock climbers can do that, but I can't. Um, I'm a cyclist, so I definitely can't. Um, so, so instead we, we attach it to our feet, right? And so what I do is I put the thing on the wall and then I step up into that. And that allows me to put the load into my feet, right? So there I am on the wall uh, at Stanford. Don't tell them. I climbed up their building. Um, and, then, and then this news article came out that uh, a, a group in, uh, I think it was Cambridge, wrote this paper based on a bunch of data from insects and all things that stick to climb using adhesion and said, well, it's impossible. If you keep scaling up, the largest thing that could physically climb is about three kilograms. So Spider-Man would be impossible. We thought that was kind of odd because we'd already done it. Um, I told you a this. few weeks ago that scientists at Cambridge University in England released a study saying it was scientifically impossible for Spider-Man to walk on walls. Okay, <laughs> I believe it was a PhD thesis on destroying my childhood. So Colbert got really sad by this, art or this article. So we made a YouTube uh, at Stanford and we just posted it and we tagged him in it or something and. We didn't think anything of it, but then uh, he picked it up. 
But I've just received some hopeful news. These superheroes at Stanford University in the States just sent me this. So, Colbert, I was watching your show on Thursday, and you said something about Spider-Man not being able to climb walls. Now, here at Stanford, we got an issue with that. Because if you don't just copy the gecko, but instead you're clever about how you distribute your weight, you can use a device like this, and a human can climb a glass wall. That's right. Spider-Man could be real after all, because Stanford has created Spider-Man gloves to scale a building. Let's take a look at Stanford's amazing web slinger in action. There he is. There he is. Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever this appears to be. So criminals, you're on notice. Spider-Man is going to bring you to justice. Just stay on the second floor and give him about an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> you're on your honor. He's coming. So anyway, that's the pinnacle of my research career. I think it's all, all downhill from here. But yeah, turns out it's like kind of hard to do, and I was a little scared. And anyway, but it's all good that I went so slow because then Colbert got to make fun of me. So yeah. Yeah, anyway, all right, so I'll keep moving. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Navi-inspired robots in the time that we have. Um, and, okay, so the goal here is getting through uh, cluttered environments. For instance, like a, a, after a landslide, a mudslide, or or uh, earthquake, or something like that. Try to find survivors or um, dig through the rubble. So the basic idea, uh, the question we're trying to answer is, well, how do you get from point A to point B, right? So you want to go here. And most robots um, out there use locomotion, right? So it's kind of like an animal moves. You move your whole body. Um, and there's a bunch of examples, jumping or walking or flying or whatever. Um, but what, and then another example, is, this one's kind of from medical. You can imagine a, a catheter going into the body um, for like endovascular surgery. And it's basically being pushed in. So you can imagine extending from the base. So new material comes in the base. But there's kind of another way of doing it, which we see in nature. Uh, basically, in most of the biological kingdoms, uh, your nerves develop this way, pollen, vines grow like this, where you're basically extending from the tip, right? So new material is being added at the tip. Um, it's just, a, you know, high-speed videos of vines is always cool. Um, as they're moving, uh, I mean, they look like they're moving if you speed them up. And here you can see that basically the new material is being added at the tip, and it's got anchors to the wall or the surface as it goes. It's climbing up the wall. I'm faster than that, at least. Um, and then, okay, so here's a little sketch now with our design, right? So watch here. So now the, the tip, so the red is going to stay here. As I add new material, it's added at the tip. So as I'm sliding through a, a tight area like this, that's never moving as I add new material and I move forward in this way. So it gives you some advantages. Obviously, it's more limited in length that you can go than a flying or, or crawling robot, but you get some interesting behaviors. Um, so these are kind of the three things we identified as uh, you need to do. You need to be able to grow from your tip, change length significantly, and change your direction. And I have a little video showing each of those. So this is how we did it. So it's just a plastic bag that's been stuffed back inside itself. And you inflate it, and it comes out at the end. And then you can pull it back in. 
And what's cool about it is that the material comes out only at the end. So we've basically approximated this, this idea from nature. And this is a, a cross-section of the design. We basically have a little pump, a reel of material, and as we inflate it, the, we can unreel and it comes out at the end. Okay, so then significant length change. This is a little device, so uh, 28 centimeters to start. And then we grow it. So just getting up for you. We're growing down the hallway there. And we continue growing. This is the material on the inside, unspooling. And we end up 72 meters long. So this is the device here. So I think it's something like a 25,000% increase in its, in its length. So, all right, so we've got the significant uh, length change down. Okay, and then directional control. Uh, this one is challenging. And what we've done is we add a little camera to the tip there. And then we're able to control the steering by inflating the two chambers on the side. So if we want to go down, we inflate the top chamber. If we want to go up, so we're steering towards this light, we inflate the bottom chamber here. Meanwhile, the camera is kind of watching where it's going. And there's a little shot of the camera. You might notice it's hard to put a camera on the end of something that doesn't really have an end. So the camera is floating here. It's being held by a cable running through the body. So as the body is growing forward, it pushes the camera forward. He's just showing it. Uh, it has a little, it's a really simple controller in there. When the light goes up, it activates the chamber on the other side. And then this is us, uh, so this is closed loop control, so we're not searing anything. We're just letting it do its thing. We put it on a table, we put a light over here, and we say go. And this is its point of view camera, and it sees the light down here, and it starts growing down that way, and it sees it needs to kind of make this little turn, and pops through there. Then we put the light in a different spot, and we do the same thing. And basically what it, the algorithm is really simple. If it sees a light to its right, it turns right. If it sees a light to the left, it turns left. And if it's in the middle, it keeps going straight. And with that, you can, you can go to the light. And yeah, we, we added that. We had cropped that at first, my friend. We're like, we got to keep that. That's the coolest part. So yeah, so that's it, steering. Here's another version we have that also steers. So it uses a little different principle. That last one was steering more like a vine would, where just kind of the tip is being controlled. These ones, the whole body deforms with these uh, actuators. So it can do different things, like growing through a tube or knocking things over. Just important. And then this is a fun one. Okay, so what do we get uh, with this uh, technology? Well, it can go through some really cramped spaces and things like that. So this is sticky fly paper. So uh, like as you can put it out and flies get stuck to it. So I put two of them together and, and then try to get the robot to go through it. And it goes pretty easily. If I ever put my hand in there, I couldn't ever get it out. This is a bath of Elmer's glue, which is a complete mess to film. But you can see the robot comes out clean, right? Because it's adding new material. This is a bed of nails. Uh, and it's able to keep going because the nails kind of fill the holes as it goes. This is all the things in a row, because why not? So now it's going through the nails. And then a wall of ice, just because. And then at the end, it pulls a little sensor out and delivers that. This is it squeezing through a really small gap. So this is... Uh, about 12% of its body size, and keeps on going. And then some other things, because it can. Uh, it swims, and then it pops out of the end here. Watch for it popping out.
And then I did wall climbing, which was kind of funny because they spent five years trying to do this with the, uh, the gecko-inspired adhesives, and then I did that in about five minutes. <laughs> okay, then uh, the last uh, video here is some uh, other kind of random things that we thought were cool. Uh, it's kind of like application-based ones. So this one we're setting up uh, is like a disaster situation maybe in a, in a room. So it blows under the door, goes up and around, and let's say there's a leaky valve or something. And so we're going to try to turn the valve off. So we grab it and pull it off. And it's like a pretty sticky valve, by the way. That was hard to turn. Um, this is it going to grow through a, a, a ceiling. So now we're actually above the ceiling. Uh, so down there is our lab. Um, so yeah, he's got the camera on the top. This is the point of view. We did not roll correct this one, so this one makes you a little bit dizzy watching. Um, so you can see kind of the duct work up there. And you're driving on. And what's cool is it's able to pull, so you can see this cable here. So it pulled that cable all the way through, something like 20 or 30 feet. This is a much smaller scale, so this is an at-scale brain ventricle, which is the thing inside your head. And this is the robot growing through it, and there's a little tool coming out of the end that's really hard to see. Um, and then you can deflate it and retract it. And what's kind of cool is the shape of the robot can be pre-made to follow the shape of the, the ventricle. So there weren't any forces on the brain tissue at that point. And this is us saving the world. <laughs> so this was se uh, yeah, 75 kilograms. So you, you apply huge forces. If you think about it, you know, you need relatively little pressure over a large area to apply a big force. And this is uh, firefighting. So we have a little fire here. We grow the robot over. All right, let's watch that in slow-mo. So it melts a little hole, and then we this is, has a little bit of water and air in there, and then the water and the air blast out and, um, and put the fire out. And then this one, because it's really pretty, uh, you can grow up uh, into somewhat arbitrary 3D shapes. So, so uh, this is an antenna. Um, basically what's going on here is there's uh, some metal that we put it on the robot so we can make a spiral antenna um, that grows into different shapes. Uh, this one doesn't do it, but later versions we've added uh, can reconfigure so you can actually uh, have your antenna change its shape in real time depending on um, the frequencies you want to be emitting. Okay, so with that, this is what we covered. Uh, soft robotics, looked at some gecko-inspired adhesives in our Vine robots. And hopefully, if, if I've succeeded, uh, I've shown you a couple of robots that are working outside of the factory. And hopefully, you saw that the compliance, some of the softness that we've added to that, whether it was those squishy uh, fibers on the gecko adhesives or the, um, you know, obviously the softness in the Vine robot, um, we're benefiting those engineered systems. All right. And with that, I think we'll wrap up and do some questions. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.